Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Strange Pathways. I am your host, Scott Mort. I, if you get the chance, if you get the chance, I would really appreciate you listening to episode one of The Cult of SMMI. It's up on both the podcast page, if you happen to be on Spotify, iTunes, whatever, you can find it there. And you can also find it right here on the YouTube channel. It is going to be ongoing. It's extremely fascinating. It hits very close to home for me. And I do hope that you enjoy is the wrong word, but I do hope that it interests you and causes some of you to take action. Uh, even though, even though the cult of SMMI is on its last legs, if not completely down, it's really only a matter of time before another one rears its head and and hopefully Michael's story will help you, help you, someone out there, see the signs, uh, and stop it before it even starts. On to this week's tales. Our first tale takes us all the way back to 1949, the Pan American Highway, Peru. The witness will be going by the name Mr. C.A.V. And Mr. C.A.V. was driving to a location called Lomo de Baena. Now, if you're looking for this, it's going to be between Pucusana and Lima, Peru. As he's driving the Pan American Highway, Mr. C.A.V. sees a shining metallic disc hovering off to the side of the highway. It's about 1,500 feet from where he's parked. He makes his way over to this disc, and he realizes this is not sitting on the ground. No, this disc is hovering six feet off of the ground. Mr. C.A.V. gets about 60 feet away from the object and three entities exit the craft. These beings didn't exit the craft physically though. They just seemed to appear in front of Mr. C.A.V. He himself said they didn't have a defined form. They just looked like three mummies. They have the profile of human beings, but their legs are joined. They didn't have two legs, but one double leg. Like it's fused together. They had no exterior signs of gender, no ears, no eyes, a body, a head, and that fused leg. And they had one large foot. They went along the ground, but they moved, they just sort of slid along the ground, making no sound when doing so. They had arms, but their hands were a group of four fingers stuck together and a separate thumb, almost, almost claw-like. When asked about their skin and their clothing, Mr. C.A.V. said, 
they had a sort of strange skin, a sort of towely, sandy-colored skin, but no clothing. Their only covering was this towely skin. Their head had no features at all, except at the height of their eyes, there was this oblong, jelly-like structure with a bubble in the center. And it's the only exterior feature. No ears, no mouth, no nose, nothing. It it was like where the nose should be. It was just the form of a nose. Like whenever you you have a tight cloth over a face, no nostrils, just the form of a nose. These entities begin to speak. And even though Mr. C.A.V.'s native language is Spanish, they speak to him in English. But it's very robotic. He described as someone who learned the language without adopting an accent. The entities ask Mr. C.A.V., where are we located? Are, are we in North America? Mr. C.A.V. tells them, no, this is South America. And then the entities swap from using English to Spanish. But it's the same deal. It's learned Spanish without an accent. These entities then ask to speak of the chief of the land. Mr. C.A.V. tells them there are many chiefs. And he then says, do you mean the president? But these entities are insistent on using the very specific term, chief. Mr. C.A.V. tells them he could maybe arrange someone to come and speak to them. And then he tells them, I'm afraid you're going to hurt me. And they tell him they mean no harm. They just want to speak to Mr. C.A.V.'s chief. They have important things to tell him. Communication has started, and a series of questions and answers come through on both sides. Now, Mr. C.A.V. couldn't remember which order these questions were answered. But he does say, one of the things they told me is they were playing around with a new substance that could endanger the peace of the world, maybe even the universe. He asks them where they came from, and they give him a strange name. They tell him that we would call it a star. But Mr. C.A.V., he, through the conversation, he's able to, to deduce that they're frightened by atomic explosions. And that these entities are afraid that this atomic testing is going to create some sort of chain reaction that's not only going to destroy this world, but endanger the entire universe. But then, Mr. C.A.V. asks a big one. Mr. C.A.V. asks, who is your God? And they say, God? What God? It's almost a mocking tone. Mr. C.A.V. says, well, the Supreme Creator, who made the universe? And they tell him, we are like gods. 
Mr. CAV is taking a bit of back. He said, how can you be gods? And these entities tell him that humans are very backwards. We fight over flags, over a frontier, that we had wars of trifling matters like children. They saw us, and by God, maybe they're not wrong, that we are ill-tempered, spoiled children still on our diapers. We fight over food. We fight over water. Mr. C.A.V. says, don't you guys do it? And they say, we overcame that centuries ago. Mr. C.A.V. then asks them about their ship. They said they could add or subtract weight from their vehicle. They accumulated energy through a heating system. They tell them it's a method of changes in temperature which create some sort of energy. They tell him that they don't practice intercourse. They have no sexual desires, no urges. They never felt hunger. Everything on their planet belonged to everyone. Meanwhile, we're down here fighting over stupid stuff like flag and ground. Well, Mr. C.A.V. goes, if, if you don't have sex, how do you reproduce? And they said they have the ability to divide themselves down the middle and split themselves into two different creatures. Mr. C.A.V. says, how can you survive traveling at high speeds? And one of the entities says, touch me. Mr. C.A.V. puts his arm around one and presses his body. And he feels something sort of, his words, biscuity. They have hard bodies, no bones, all cartilage. And this permits them to receive all sorts of blows without damage. Mr. C.A.V. goes, do you have any hostile intentions towards us? And they said no. All they wanted us to do was stop playing with this dangerous weapon we have created. We were babies. But we had built a gun. The atomic bomb. And we got their attention. The entities invite Mr. C.A.V. aboard the ship itself. Mr. C.A.V. had to physically pull himself into the craft. There was no ladder or steps. He wasn't lifted by anti-gravity. And the inside of the craft is empty. Except for a ledge that circles the entire interior of the craft. The entities make noises amongst themselves. It's like static on a radio. And then they show Mr. C.A.V. how they share liquids. They just place their shoulders together. They tell him they're able to receive moisture from the atmosphere through the humidity itself. The craft rises up, flies over the coast, stops and goes back to its original position. Mr. C.A.V. said this was rather fast, but the entities warned him, we can't travel faster than this. 
We can't travel at the speeds that we do because you're on board. You would not survive it. Mr. CAV, though, he can't get something out of his mind. He can't get that mitosis, that splitting. And he asked to see it. One of these entities laid down the ground inside the craft, and the middle section of it began to thin. And it split in half to form another identical being. The newly formed being retained all the memories and knowledge of the original after splitting. Mr. C.A.V. goes, don't you get bored of being eternal? They tell him it's actually kind of cathartic. Mr. C.A.V. actually attempted to capture one of these entities. But when embracing it, it released a type of soapy liquid that allowed it to escape out of his arms. Mr. C.A.V., the greed got the better of him. If he took one of them, he thought he could be rich. These entities agreed to return the next day to the same location. Mr. C.A.V. would need to bring his chief. The craft, after they dump Mr. C.A.V. off, inclines at 30 degrees, makes a semicircle, turns towards the sea, and disappears with great speed. Mr. C.A.V. later returned to it. The entities, they didn't return. Was it that Mr. C.A.V. didn't bring his chief? Was it that Mr. C.A.V. tried to kidnap one of them? Probably a little of both. It's not a good look for us, is it? Our next tale comes to us from it's my favorite place in the world, at least on the web, phantomsandmonsters.com. Lon Strickler received an account, a gentleman named R.C. wonders if all of us have been abducted at one time or another, but maybe only a few of us can remember. You see, R.C. had an experience as a child when he was 10 years old in Hamilton, Ontario. But R.C. can't really say he's ever been abducted. It was a hot day in 1968. The windows in the house were open. Air conditioners weren't common back in those days. And that night, R.C. was sharing a room with his brother and sister. He wakes up during the night and he looks out the window into the backyard. About eight foot away, in front of a bush, there's this thin creature, shiny black skin, very, very thin. 
RC says it looked like a tiny girl, but at the same time, it kind of looks like an insect. It's crouched on its legs, leaning forward with one hand on the ground, looking at RC. There were thin antennae sticking out from each side of its head and one more on the top. That's all R.C. can remember. R.C. tells his mom, she tells R.C., it's a dream. Fast forward a couple years, 1972, Caledonia, Ontario. R.C. and his family move into this large house, and now instead of sharing a room with his siblings, R.C. sleeps in his own room on the second floor. R.C.'s dad was a lot like my dad. He kept me involved with projects. R.C. and his dad are making a crystal radio kit from Radio Shack. He wakes up again one night in the summer. All the windows open. R.C. looks into the backyard. He sees the antennae for his radio stretched across the yard. And below he sees the same female-like insectoid on the edge of the grass. It's next to the patio under R.C.'s window. R.C. tells his mother again. Again, she says it was a dream. And a few years later, they move. They do this so his dad doesn't have to go so far to work to Stony Creek, Ontario. R.C. is now 16 years old. He gets up in the night, looks out the window, crouched on the edge of the sidewalk in the grass in the front of the house. There she is. R.C.'s a little bit braver now. He goes outside to look and it's there. He walks to the sidewalk, doesn't make any noise. And neither does the entity. It just looks at him. All black, large black eyes. And then, boom. The next thing R.C. remembers is waking up. He doesn't remember going back inside. And this time, R.C.'s mother has put it in his head that it's always just a dream. R.C. himself writes it off as a dream. And now he's starting to doubt it. There was an article where a UFO crashed in Mexico and the sketches the people made looked like the dream creature, just without the antennae. And the pictures showed red eyes and not black. tale is going to take us to Crosswick, Ohio, 1882. Crosswick's is about one mile north of Waynesville. And back in 1882, it was home to several black families, including John Lynch and his two sons, Ed and Joe. Now, Ed was 13 and Joe was 11. Ed and Joe 
loved to fish. And it just so happened there's a small creek on the south side of this village. One day, Ed and Joe decide that they're going to go fishing there. And they suddenly hear a commotion behind them. Ed and Joe turn. And as they do, their eyes lock with the eyes of a huge monster approaching them rapidly. They had never seen anything like this before. The creature was close to 30 to 40 feet long, maybe a diameter of around 16 inches, unusually long legs, about four feet in length, covered in scales. The face of this creature was similar to a lizard. It was black and white in color with yellow spots all over it. The head itself was about 16 inches wide. It had a long black forked tongue and its mouth was blood red. This absolute monster of a being grabbed the older boy in its forearms and squeezed him with it. Using its hind legs, it started to drag the boy It drug him 100 yards down the creek to a large sycamore tree. Now, this tree had a diameter of about 26 feet at the base. It's hollow with a large opening in one side. And this creature tried to take the boy through the opening. The boy is paralyzed with fear. He's He's got no way to resist this creature. Three men, Alan Jordan... George Peterson and the Reverend Jacob Horn were quarrying stone close to the creek. The men heard the screams and they run over and they see this monstrous creature attacking the boys. They rush over to rescue that older boy. The snake is trying to drag that boy still into that sycamore tree. The snake is is frightened. It releases the boy and flees. Now, this child is badly injured. They rush him to Waynesville to a Dr. L.C. Lukens for treatment. Dr. Lukens' report says that the boy is badly bruised. He's scratched, experiencing convulsions and spasms through the night. Extremely frightened. Finally, at about 3 o'clock... That older boy is able to fall asleep, but he still wakes up periodically in terror. The next afternoon, 60 men gathered around that sycamore tree. They're armed with anything they can grab. Clubs, axes, pitchfork, dogs. It's decided we cut down the tree, we kill whatever's inside of it. They begin to cut the tree and it emerges from the opening. It extends its legs, stands up, stands up at a height of 12 to 14 feet with an amazing speed. It crosses the creek, runs up a small hill. This creature is so strong, it actually breaks a fence 
in its escape attempt. The men, the dogs, they pursue it. It reaches a large hill with this ledge of rocks and it disappears into the hole. Now some of the men, understandably, were too scared. The braver of them though, they followed the creature until it disappeared underground. What makes this story very interesting, despite the obvious, L.C. Lukens, dependable professional physician, Reverend Jacob Horn was head of the Crosswick Church, George Peterson, Alan Jordan, highly regarded members of the community. This wasn't a couple of kids and the local drunk. These were well-respected men. It's one thing for a newspaper of the time to make up stories, but to actually go out there and, and take, you know, the names of these very respectable individuals and put them in the story, if it wouldn't be true, they, the paper, even back then, could get into some serious trouble. I wonder whatever happened to that. You know, snakes can live a long, long time. I wonder whatever happened to this creature. Whether it still lives in those hills. Or maybe it's offspring. Maybe there are more now. Thank you for joining us once again here on Strange Pathways. If you are having trouble dealing with a paranormal incident, please reach out to the Opus Network at www.opusnetwork.org. Our Twitter, Pathways Strange. TikTok and Instagram, Strange Pathways Podcast. Head over to our Facebook. We're going to have a couple images dealing with the tales we had today. You can email me at strangepathwaysmail at gmail.com. And if... If you have ever been a member of the SMMI, the Sisters Minor of Mary Immaculate, please, please, please reach out to me. On the same vein, on this channel, please check out episode one of the cult of SMMI. It's, I feel like it's some of the most important work I've ever done. Thank you so much for joining me here today. Please like, comment, subscribe. It really does help the channel out. Please leave a review over on iTunes, what have you. It does help out the podcast. Thank you so much again. Take care of yourselves and each other. 